The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very encouraging subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Be sure to check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar, the at symbol Mighty Fortress 313. Go ahead and hit that like and follow us there. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. We do have a host of media for uh, there for you to look at where you'll find articles, videos, and even a link to our merch store where you can help support the work. And, of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and establish PayPal link. Of course, if we've helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at OurMightyFortress at gmail.com. If you haven't noticed... The overarching theme is Our Mighty Fortress. <laughs> By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to take a look at events that can happen in our lives that just may seem evil. I'm not talking about the kind of events that happen because of the results of our sin. Like, say, for instance, if you're drinking and driving and you have a bad car accident or you kill somebody. No, I'm not talking about events like that. Not events that include us sinning or we're suffering from the results thereof. I'm talking about the events that happen where you didn't do anything and they're so bad that it leaves you scratching your head and saying, why God, why? I want to observe these evil events in the scope of time and try to figure out if there's more to them that meets the eye. In order to do this, though, I do want to cross-reference very similar situations found with the biblical character Joseph in the book of Genesis. At the end of his evil events, he came to say to his brothers, who were the perpetrators of the initial events anyways, he responded to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, end quote. I believe that when we look at that statement and how it applied not only to Joseph's life, but to various other events in history, 
we will see a clearer picture as to the plan of God in our own lives. This podcast really was inspired by a conversation that my wife and I had about certain events that impacted her life and thus would later affect me. But we're going to talk about that later because there's much more leading up to that that's pretty fascinating. I like to build that foundation and help provoke you to examine your own life and what God is doing with you. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The base story that we're going to build off of is with the biblical character, Joseph. I'll hit key points of the narrative, but feel free to read through the whole context on your own. It truly is a fascinating story. The story begins with God giving Joseph a vision in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5, and again in verse 9. The vision was basically that his brothers and his dad are going to one day actually bow before him. And even though he doesn't totally know what that meant or what it entailed, him actually telling his brothers about that dream is not going to go well for him. He was the youngest of the 11 other brothers, and they weren't exactly the best examples to follow after. They were already tired of Joseph being loved by their father more than them. And they're not about to hear how Joseph's dream had them having the whole family bowing before him one day. They would actually throw Joseph in a pit in verse 24 and would then have and they would try to have him killed if it bright idea didn't come up to actually sell him as a slave to, to some Ishmaelites who came by. You could be thinking as to why God would give Joseph a dream if his brothers were, were just going to eventually kick him out of the family. But the story doesn't stop there. In Genesis 39 and verse 1, the story goes on to Joseph being sold to a wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar. In verse 2, it almost just gives you a clue into something greater that the Lord had in store with Joseph. And everything that he touched just prospered. This allowed him to become the chief servant in the house. Potiphar said, hey, everything that man touches just goes very, very well. So I want him in charge. So he he grew in position as well. Potiphar's wife had an eye on him and and wanted to commit adultery with Joseph. She was able to get him alone one day and she tried to lie with him. When he realized the position that he was in, he took off running, but she snatched his coat from off him as he went this gives you a picture as to the character of joseph that even though he attained more of a social rank he still did not choose to violate god's commands and give into the temptation to sleep with another man's wife he rejected her the wife would tell her husband potiphar about what would happen and basically Uh, say that he tried to rape her, which of course that was not true, but she was so angry at him that he would not actually lie with her that she would, the other definition of the word, uh, lie about him. In verse 20, that's where Joseph would be thrown into prison. Now, this is actually pretty interesting because Potiphar could have had Joseph killed. 
you think about it, if he supposedly tried to rape his wife or sleep with his wife, Potiphar could have had him killed. But throwing him in prison, it almost seems like Potiphar didn't actually believe her. But to save face, you know, uh, in Asian cultures, it's probably the best option that he thought he could do is throw him in jail. That way, Joseph stayed alive. Who knows how that would how that all worked out. But one thing's for sure, the prison that he went to was not just any prison but ones where political prisoners were kept or the king's prisoners. Once again, verse 21 reminds us that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord gave him favor uh, in the eyes of the jailer. It's very easy to think if God was with Joseph, then why in the world is he putting him through all these supposed misfortunes? But the story goes on. While in prison, Joseph meets men in Genesis 40, uh, one of which was formerly a butler and the other a baker. Both men had a dream one night and weren't feeling the greatest about it. Joseph asked them about their demeanor and why they just looked so sad, and they told him about their dreams. Joseph would have the right walk with God to be able to interpret the dreams. So he said, hey, I can tell you what my God says your dreams mean. And of course, it was God who gave them the dream, so it all worked out, right? Well, the butler's dream related to him getting out of prison in three days and going back to his old job for the Pharaoh. The butler was happy about the interpretation, and Joseph told him to remember him when he gets out. Basically, Joseph was trying to say, hey, put in a good word for me. Help me get out of here. <laughs> I do the same thing. The baker wanted his dream interpreted as well, but Joseph didn't have such great news for him. His dream entailed him getting his head chopped off after three days by the Pharaoh. Verse 23 goes on to say that after three days, both dreams came to pass, but the butler did not remember Joseph or put in a good word for him, but he in fact remained in prison for another two years. Now you got to think about that. <laughs> Joseph could have been tempted to think, what in the world? You gave them the dreams. I interpreted them through you, Lord. And now I'm in here another two years. What is going on? Well, in Genesis chapter 41, the Pharaoh would have a dream. And the butler would then remember Joseph being an interpreter. To make a long story short, Joseph is brought out of the prison to interpret the dream that God had given Pharaoh about the coming famine in the land. Joseph would be made Pharaoh's number one man and chief officer who would then oversee Egypt and its resource management. All of this was to bring about Joseph's family coming to Egypt and not only saving them from starvation, but also the people of Egypt. This brings us to what I referenced in the beginning with Joseph's statement about his brothers, meaning what they did for evil for him when they were younger. But through all of that, God brought about good. The family would indeed bow to him, being the Pharaoh's number one man. In the beginning, they had no clue it was him until he revealed himself later. He was the chief officer in Egypt, so it seemed logical, right? In verse 20, we read Joseph's response to his brothers. He says, quote, But as for you, this is after his father had died, so his brothers thought that, hey, Joseph is finally going to get us back now that our dad is dead. And so this is Joseph's response to his brothers. 
But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. End quote. Now Joseph's godly character throughout this grand narrative is a lesson in itself. But I want to focus on that statement that he made to his brothers. The brothers meant it for evil by selling him into slavery, but God meant it for good. Through that, he means that, you know, he would rise to become the second most powerful man in the region and would bring about God's glory throughout. Of course, little did Joseph know that centuries later, a greater plan and picture would be fulfilled when the Hebrews would leave Egypt for the promised land. There were two major characters in the Bible that literally had nothing negative to be said about them. Two major biblical characters that has not that have nothing negative said about them. That is the prophet Daniel and Joseph. Throughout this grand story, we do not read that Joseph lapsed in his faith. We do not read about him sinning before God in some great manner either. He had faith that some greater story was about to take place in his life and it would eventually come to be. Now this brings us to a very interesting question. Can we go outside the Bible and look throughout history, more specifically dealing with Christians, and are there similar events? I believe we can find many of them. Stories that I could fill the podcast for hours and hours. There were literally hundreds, if not thousands of events of events that we could find. But let me briefly walk you through just several of them. And you can see the dramatic impact upon the church. The first massive event I want to address that took place leading up to the Reformation. There are many men like a John Wycliffe or a John Huss who basically led up to uh, Martin Luther through the centuries each built upon another's foundation and the questions that arose about the authority of the scriptures. So much that would come up that it is said that Luther just struck the match of the Reformation that others had basically laid the kindle to, which is very much true. When Luther came on the scene with his 95 Thesis on October 31st, 1517, the kindling would have already been laid and that Luther would just ignite that fire all across Europe and the word of God and the desire for the word of God and the biblical version of salvation where it's the just shall live by faith, that it's being justified by God's grace through your faith that would save you and not by the works of the law or some Catholic doctrine. Absolutely fascinating. That same zeal and power would lead Martin Luther to stand before the cardinals uh, and the king of the Holy Roman Empire at the time and basically just stand on his belief that uh, God saves through faith, even though he knew that it was going to mean his own death. And I do believe it was God himself that made sure that he did not die, that he was protected. But his speech is quite astounding to read. Take some time to read that. But let's move forward in history to 1748 and a man named John Newton. Newton 
was a slave trader, an unsaved man, and, and he was a slave trader. While on ship returning to England, there was a severe storm and the ship looked to be sunk. He began to pray to God and for his mercy, uh, and the storm was said to have died down. This will lead to his conversion uh, and become a Christian. He would then become an Anglican priest. Now, at this time, there were arguably many Anglicans that were actually born again, even though they had some types of Catholic tendencies, but they appeal to much of the uh, Reformation at this time. Not so much today, but at this time, the Anglican Church was different. You had, you had men like William Tyndale at the, uh, bef just before that, and so you know, the environment would have been different. But as to Newton, what made him so special? He would pen the words to the gospel hymn, Amazing Grace, which still influences Christianity today. He would also become a stern abolitionist, which means he was against slavery. That's a total turn from what he was previously, right? Being a slave trader. This would influence a young British member of parliament named William Wilberforce. Both him and Wilberforce would be the main driving force to end the British slave trade in 1807. Just less than 50 years later, and both men long dead, their influence would make a difference on a man named Abraham Lincoln in America. This would eventually bring down slavery in America, and this all started with a terrible storm that was about to destroy John Newton's ship. Isn't that something? Of God? I do believe so. Let's move on to that same time period around 1820 with the birth of Fanny Crosby. What seemed to be a doctor's mistake, she was left blind at six weeks old. Instead of being bitter, she went on to give God glory and become one of the most prolific hymn writers in history. She wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs that we sing almost 200 years later. She was later called the Queen of the Gospel Songwriters. A tremendous work for God took place in what seemed to be a human tragedy at first. There is another story with a man named Horatio Spafford in 1871. After the terrible Chicago fires, the young businessman and attorney lost a large portion of his finances and soon after that, he lost his four-year-old son. Heeding the advice of a friend, he decided to go on an extended vacation to Europe with his family. Anna Spafford, his wife, and the family boarded the luxury liner Ville de Harve, but Horatio had to stay behind for a few days to clean up some business at home before he would head out to meet them in Europe. During the evening hours of November 22, 1873, the ship was struck by another sailing vessel, breaching her side and sending her to the ocean floor within two hours. Not only was there a loss of 226 passengers, but also Horatio's four daughters. Only his wife Anna would survive the shipwreck. Now keep this in mind. He lost his only son previously. Now he lost his, the rest of his children, his four daughters. Only his wife would survive. 
He immediately took another ship to go and meet his wife, and while in transit, the captain took him aside and showed him the approximate spot where his family's ship went down. He was troubled, but he went down to the bottom of the ship, and God gave him the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul. Those words were put to music by Philip Bliss and sung throughout many evangelistic conferences through the next century. In what seemed a human tragedy, a greater work of God was done that would literally influence millions of people. Millions of people. There are so many more examples that I could give in history, but this podcast was actually inspired by very similar events and reasoning. And it just struck me as my wife and I were talking about our family's history. We were talking about the current politics and how things were getting very feisty in the media and, and within our government and things were ramping up. We were talking about constitutional rights being taken away and the implications of government overreach and how that would affect the church and those types of things. I made a reference that there were many shady things that our government had done through history that had a major impact on our society. Now, this is interesting. One of the examples I gave was about the Gulf of Tonkin incident that brought the United States full board into the Vietnam War. Now, this is a huge, huge event and had a huge impact upon my wife because she is Vietnamese. Her family was anti-communist and helped the Americans during the war. Now, at this time, she is not born yet. When the U.S. retreated out of the country and the communists took Saigon, they murdered various family members uh, of hers to include her uncle. Now, like I said, she wasn't born yet, but her father remained to eventually bring up the family. The Gulf of Tonkin incident was supposed to be a North Vietnamese Navy, uh, and they have boats that went out attacking American warships in international waters. But this very event that brought the U.S. into the Vietnam War was a complete and total fraud. We know that now. The government came out and admitted it. It was a lie to give an excuse for entering the war. This will come out uh, in what was known as the Pentagon Papers, and further declassification later would detail the event as a myth. This would ultimately cost, now think about this, this war would cost 50,000, over 50,000 American lives over the course of the war, and who knows how many millions of Vietnamese, both North and South. Now, I've been to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., and it truly is a humbling experience. But why is this event so interesting to our discussion? What if the Gulf of Tonkin incident never took place and the United States never entered the war? How would that have changed the landscape and the culture of Vietnam up until today? Think about it. Would the Communist Party have succeeded? I think they would have, given the uh, being backed by the Soviet Union and all the things that were taking place during that time. They were looking to conquer Vietnam, hence why America really wanted to jump into this whole thing in the first place, not justifying it. But that being said, 
how would that landscape of even my wife's family have changed? She came here much later as a student, but how much of all of those events that would lead up to that would have changed? There were so many different possibilities that could have happened, but God allowed what we know now as history to take place. She would eventually be born as a young child and cry out in hopelessness to a God she did not yet know. God then, as he describes in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, he goes after that lost sheep of his on the other side of the world from where I was at. He would bring her here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and become born again. That's amazing. He heard the cry of a young child. And he brought the gospel to her. Well, really, he brought her over here to come hear the gospel. We would eventually, of course, meet and get married. Now, how much of her life and my life would have been so drastically different if events had changed? The possibilities is almost endless. How much of the lives of the Vietnamese people who would eventually become Christians have changed? There are so many stories and examples of missionaries working in that nation. They're making a difference for Christ right now. We had some missionaries uh, be, that were in Ho Chi Minh City, the former city called Saigon, but it's Ho Chi Minh now. There are some missionaries working there, and we had some uh, witness to our some of her family members. That was kind of neat. Sending missionaries across the world to go witness to her uh, lost family members was kind of neat. After my wife and I pondered that for a bit, you know, I reflected upon my own life and what brought me to the feet of Christ. How many events that shaped my life guided me towards becoming born again? What if those were different? Would they have provided a different outcome? I think they would have. I mean, reflect upon your own life and think about how many things could have drastically changed with different events that took place in your life whether they be good or bad. Maybe this should change how we perceive the events that happen in our lives, whether they're uh, positive or negative. And maybe there is something greater at play with God's plan. Our modern culture in America has provided almost every available comfort. And in that comfort, we as Christians have grown too soft emotionally. When events seemingly take a turn for worse in our lives, is it really for the worse in our comfort we're so tempted to complain and even be driven to doubt god this of course does not always apply to the self-induced pain as we said earlier and the suffering the consequences for our bad decisions if you were previously an alcoholic before you got saved and after you got saved you develop kidney failure later on well that's not god's fault that's your fault <laughs> because you have the marks of sin that still abide upon your flesh. You can't just punish your body and not expect to reap those consequences. Now, of course, if God's not through with you, it's not going to claim your life until God's done with you. So, nonetheless, but you're still going to have to bear those marks of sin. Nothing gets by God, and no event surprises him. We have to come to the conclusion as Christians, that God is on the throne and he's working his plan in your life. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, quote, I am 
Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, end quote. God did not forget about you or your circumstances. We are finite beings and hardly think in the grander scope. You also have to know that not everything is about you. I know, it's astounding, isn't it? Everything is not about you or me. Thinking about the previous stories from the great events in history and how much we're born in what seemed a tragedy, yet in the grander narrative of history, there was something greater at play for the Lord and generations that came after those individuals will be blessed by what they did in tragedy. Hoover said that the circumstance that took place in your life, whether negative or positive, was about you specifically. Sure, the event is happening to us, but there could be someone after us that could be drastically affected by what takes place from our decisions. It goes to show the faithfulness to God and how it has it, its lasting marks upon history. I'm sure there are many untold or unwritten stories of such events, but We've given enough to see that there's nothing that is happening in our current events that God has not control of. We're already told the ending of the grand narrative in Revelation 19 and the return of Jesus Christ. Our works for Christ will be tried through the fire at the judgment seat as stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14. And it says that we shall receive a reward. In verse 15 it says, quote, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire, end quote. This means that if we have vain works, or none at all, you will be saved because of the blood of Christ, but you'll miss out on the rewards in heaven. Whatever those translate to in heaven, we don't know. But it's better, <laughs> it's better that we strive for those rewards in heaven, amen? What I do know that is long after we are dead and buried... What we do in this life can affect those who come well after us for generations. What is our decision in all of this? Will it be a positive or negative event that takes place upon history? Someone that God can use greatly or be set aside? The choice is ours. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.